0: Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Not Mine, But Ours. I'm your host, Caleb Wood, and I am so excited to embark on this journey of understanding what it means to live in community together, what it means to love, serve, protect, and encourage our brothers and sisters, what it means to discover truth by living life together as one body what it means to have people that you can rely on, depend on, and live life with beside you in order to become your best self and in order to love others the best that you possibly can. Because it's so much easier and more rewarding when we do life together. On this podcast, I'm going to refer to something called the disease. And every time I use the term disease, I'm speaking of individualism, this idea of self-reliance, a principle that all values, rights, and duties originate in individuals. And I want to take you on a journey of realizing that individualism is truly chronic, and this disease is tearing apart humanity. Individualism is disrupting the way that we see brothers and sisters. It's the reason why we see racism. It's the reason why we see depression. It's the reason why there's so much anxiety around us because we have been built up in a society where people say, you must know how to do it on your own or you must be able to rely on yourself to get by. To take it even further, we live in a society where what you think or what you believe must be truth. And I'm here to say that that simply just isn't the case. That individualism has made us as people believe that we are God or that we are some superior being that can look down on those around us, that can look down on society, that can look down on the unfortunate, and say, I've been blessed with this superior knowledge. But individualism, the disease, is that actually is separating us from living a life that we were meant to live, a life in community. My focal point of this episode, the very first episode of Not Mine But Ours, is going to be racial reconciliation. And many of you that are listening are going to be white. And I want you to understand when you hear me and our special guest talk on this episode, anybody who has been born, raised, and lived in America as a white person has been given privilege beyond recognition. And what I mean by that is it is often so hard because the system has been built to favor the white person that we don't even realize that racism is so active in our culture now. A couple weeks ago, a man by the name of George Floyd was murdered, brutally murdered. And the entire world, America especially, was reminded and the recognition of the racial injustice that takes place in this country was revealed. Hear me when I say this. Racism has not stopped. It never stopped. But right now, we are living in a time when we are recognizing its brutality in a whole new way. And this will not stand. So I'm encouraging every single one of you that is listening to tune in, soften your heart, and listen to this conversation. Listen to what is being said Listen to what is being asked of us. If you are any ethnicity other than white and you are listening to this podcast, please deeply hear me when I say this, I am sorry. I am sorry for the way that you have been viewed because of the color of your skin. I am sorry that you have not been seen and I'm sorry you haven't been heard. I want you all to understand that race, ethnicity, economic class, gender, age, these are all unique attributes that we have been given by God for the use of His will and kingdom. Culture is one of the most beautiful things and every single human being has their own distinct culture. Embrace it. Love who you've been made to be and love others for who they are. We're gonna take a little break And when we come back, I have a very special guest for all of you to tune in and listen to because he has some incredible wisdom on what racial reconciliation and what the injustices going on now mean for us going forward. We'll be be right back soon. Hey Bedford, Uh, thanks man so much for joining uh, this episode of Not Mine But Ours Um, and and I really just want to begin by apologizing. I want to say I'm sorry um, for my own ignorance, my own unawareness of privilege, of even my own status as a white person in America that I don't realize sometimes and how my mind has been wired to overlook the black man, the black woman, the black child in America. Um, And I wanna say I'm sorry. I also want to, to know that it would be incredibly arrogant, incredibly wrong for me to say that I don't see your color. Because you have such a rich culture and history being black. And I appreciate that. I see that. I love that. You know that I stand beside you through thick and thin. You know that, that I love you. You know that I see you as family. Um, and, and I want to just say I'm sorry for how you're being treated. I'm sorry for how you've had hardship growing up because this system has been built um, against you and the system truly has been built to, to support and make the white person succeed and put the black person on the back burner. And, and it's not even just blacks. It's not even just white and black. It's, it's really all races other than white people that have been, been seen as secondary. Um, and that needs to change. That has to change because it's a sin issue. It's a gospel issue. It's it's not just politics. It's so much more than that. And so I just want to have a conversation. I want to learn. I want to be made aware. I want to talk with you and, and get a sense of where your heart's at right now, where your mind's at, of how you feel as believers, as As people, we need to take steps forward in this time. So thank you so much for for joining this conversation. Thank you so much for being a part of this this episode. Um, So let's just dive right in. Um, Bedford, explain to me um, what it was like growing up in America as a black person. Oh
1: man, it was... uh... It has been an interesting experience, um, both good and bad, since initially born in Haiti. And so, like, when I came over to America, there's the addition of being both black and a foreigner. And so, like, growing up, often faced, you know, I don't know, your stereotypical black jokes. And then my accent got made fun of. And, like, it was just kind of a reinforcing cycle. And so, like, in elementary school, around fourth or fifth grade, it was a very confusing slash frustrating time. And I didn't really enjoy even, honestly, being in America. I remember in fifth grade wanting to go back to Haiti if, like, people were just going to make fun of me for my accent, if people were just going to make fun of me for my skin color, like, what was the point of being in this nation? And so that's something I definitely um, kind of just, like, it just kind of soaked into me. And something i did not enjoy and then middle school and high school came around and those were just primarily the black experience through middle school and high school is just an unfortunate amount of stereotyping and stereotypical jokes because that's the default setting that if you're the one black kid in the group then you get the jokes that and people feel more comfortable saying things way before they know you and some people just drop the n-word in front of me and I. My personality is a lot more passive and I'm not a very aggressive person. So people felt very comfortable, even when I told them to stop. And oftentimes I got, like essentially I was told I was too white for the black kids and too black for the white kids. And I called an Oreo and then people would make fun of, even at that point when I would get, when I got better at English, the the constant comment was, oh, you talk so much better than the others or one kid. I remember him blatantly telling me that uh, you don't talk like those other nigs, so I won't even finish the term for you. And that was uh, an interesting experience in high school. And so, I don't know, growing up, I learned that if you were around a police officer, you switch the way you talk, a lot of yes sirs and no sirs. And just to make sure that everything went okay, if I was walking down the street and I had my hoodie on and it was late at night and the couple was white, then I took off the hoodie. I was to make sure I didn't seem like a threat. These were things that just like social cues I had learned. And it was never from like my parents. It was just from from movies. It was from culture. It was from friends. It was constantly that. It was, I don't know. It was made up of a bunch of small moments, what I would probably call like micro-regressions. A couple jokes here, a couple jabs there, a couple phrases that I didn't want to hear a couple of things where people would say and I I was just like you're way too more you're much more comfortable with me than I am w- with you and I think more than more blatant than just the systematic oppression it's through the social cues and all of the the slight digs that keeps this stereotyping culturally acceptable i think that's one of the more unfortunate parts wow Wow.
0: That's uh thank you for for the honesty. Thank you for just being straightforward. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that need to hear the the rawness and what it was like for you growing up. What it was like for you um to be raised in a society and and raised in a system that that ca- categorizes you as an afterthought or as a secondary and it breaks my heart to know that that i as a white person like contributed to that system without even knowing it without even being made aware of it and that's like the most painful for me now to to look and see what's happened in minneapolis and la and these different cities that I'm finally having my eyes open because I'm, I'm I'm being revealed to, the system that I've been in, that I've been a part of. Um, could you share uh, just a little bit about, kind of this last couple weeks for you, and what's happened in your heart, what's happened in your mind, um, with things like the murdering of George and and the shooting of Ahmad. Like what mm. what has taken place inside of you that that you you want people to hear? You want people to know?
1: Yeah, it's been an exhausting exhausting month finding out Ahma- Ahmaud Ahmad Arber's story and George Floyd's story. I think they're both Awful, awful tragedies. Um, To start with, first, the Ahmad Arbery one, it's just, that one was just kind of a a mind-boggling experience of just, I don't know, a young man walked into a free construction site, like, completely open, there seems to be no, like, there's not a trespassing sign or anything like that, and two individuals attempt to make a citizen's arrest based off of Nothing. Like, they didn't have any evidence that he was trespassing or burglary, and they brought their guns, and they're expecting this defenseless 25 year old to just be like, okay, I'm just going to stop. Like, I don't know. I, he did everything he could to survive that day, and pretty much nothing happened for two months. I think for around 10 weeks, like, nothing happened on that case. I think they pleaded self defense, and it wasn't until like social media and people started making like turning it into a cause and started until a movement started the case wasn't heard and i think that's that's a condemning thing to hear that like the family's cries weren't heard like that this case was essentially just open and shut for 10 whole weeks until like the rest of america found out and then the george the george floyd scenario is just some of the worst police work I've seen. And this is the thing, like I'm not, I know there's, there's a whole spectrum about how people police, how people feel about police officers right now. Personally, I don't think it would be right to stereotype cops and say all cops are bad. Obviously I think what we're in need of is some sort of reform, maybe some sort of, I don't know, retraining with de escalation efforts. But, what happened was just some of the worst things I've I've seen. You have one cop just placing his knee on the back of a human being as he's shouting, I can't breathe. Like you're going to kill me. And you have three other cops acting cowardly and just watching. And I don't, I, I couldn't, it was disgusting watching that video. I was so, I don't know, I was horrified that this is how you just treat another human being, whether he's black, whether he's Hispanic, whether he's white, like, The fact that this happened at all is just a failure of the justice system. And then you see the protests and the riots come afterward. And I think it's the the sign of just people being tired of being tired. They're tired of, like, not being heard. They're tired of things like this occurring. And it is an exhausting experience for most people. From what it seems like, the black experience, it gets exhausting talking about these things and never being heard until it's too late, until another tragedy occurs until another wrong thing has occurred that's when the rest of america seems to be to to hear and it seems like i don't know america loves to pay attention when there's a tragedy but when anything else is going on in the black community it rarely gets talked about like i'm hoping that this causes a change when it comes to police brutality that things like this don't need to be to ever occur again. But obviously, with the sinfulness of humanity, you can't just root out sin, but you can definitely train police officers better. And I think these guys, I don't know, they they do good police officers at an entire disservice. The police officers who fight to protect their citizens and are part of their communities, being lumped in with these gentlemen who are, I'd probably say a disgrace to the bad. And obviously, there's grace and forgiveness. But there's also justice and accountability. And I want to hold those in two tensions. And I have had trouble I will honestly say had trouble with forgiveness as of right now. I think I think it's going to I think it's a national tragedy and it's a traumatic experience of an entire nation. I think the black community is witnessing this and we're saying enough is enough and we want change and we want things to be different and I hope this does spur change in this area but I also hope it spurs change in an entire conversation about racial tension and better dialogue about how we can come aside, like come along and actually be just people together and be unified. And I think that's going to take a lot of work after seeing the last couple of weeks. I think distrust has been sown and now it's evident and there's a lot of tension. And I think it's it's, I can see why, but man, it's just everything occurring right now. Is just saddening, and it's kind of just, it's weighing a lot
0: on my heart. Wow. If I were to ask you, what does it mean for a white person to say, I'm standing with you? What does that mean to you as a black person? What do you then expect of me as a white person if I'm saying that to you
1: in this time? I think for me, it shows someone's awareness that these aren't just stories, but these are also experiences, that these aren't just fears, that these are also realities. So I think it comes with that person who desires to increase their awareness, but also is willing to listen. And I think that's where we just got to start. I think it's the change. Is not going to occur massively on a nationwide scale? I think it, it impacts you first where your context is. So are you willing to listen to the plight of your brother and sister? Are you willing to, I don't know, ask the questions that at times make you feel uncomfortable to ask? Are you willing to have open dialogue? And I think that's where it starts. I think it also means that it also impacts like how someone acts when you're not around. It's one thing to say you stand with someone. It's different. Like when, when you're, when you're with your boys and, there's not a black person around. Are you letting some of the racial microaggressions and all of the things that already get thrown? Are you allowing that to still occur just because there's not a black person out there to to call it? And that's something that I can't answer for the individual, but up for the individual to do you make the stance when it's popular, or do you actually live it out? And I think that's my biggest worry Like right now, it's the thing to tweet, it's the thing to say that you're a part of, but six months from now, a year from now, when we're still having this dialogue, is everyone going to still have the same energy about racial reconciliation and a racial redemptive movement? So Will, will this
0: finally spur change in the system? Or will it just fade back into the background? uh, Is what I hear you saying? Um, Yeah. And, that's
1: my honest question.
0: <laughs> and I, I want you to know that, that I'm standing with you in this moment to say, I will not let my voice fade. That I will not stop until I see change for all people in this country and in this world. Because as a believer, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, racism is not a black and white issue racism is a sin issue it's an issue that we've seen from the beginning of time and we saw Jesus come to abolish that to say there is no longer Jew or Gentile there is no slave or free it's one family it's one tribe it's one nation that is covered by one color and that's the blood of Jesus and that's my heart and you know that's my heart and, and and I want you to see that here and now I want you to hear that but I want my fruit to be able to produce that that is true that you will see me work beside you for you to, to see change happen in in this world to see change happen in the system that is so corrupted right now and we have almost been wired to not even realize the corruption in it and I hope That right now, what's taking place will actually open blind eyes for people to see how wrong we are and how wrong this system has become. Going forward, Bedford, um, what are things that you want to see happen in the coming weeks, the coming months? Um, What is your prayer for America
1: right now? Oh, yeah. Man. I think my biggest prayer right now is a peace that transcends all understanding that even though we are frustrated and we are angry and like all of those things can be true that we're just not going to let the anger overwhelm us to overshadow what the message truly is in racial reconciliation that it's not about i don't know it's not about it's about an actual pro- progression to change and not just an immediate hey this is what we're going to do and everything's going to be better that it's actually long lasting so my prayer is definitely peace it's for dialogue to be created all around America about what does this look like in our community? What are the minorities facing here? I hope it has people reevaluating just, I don't know, some of the other issues in this nation that affect minorities and seeing the state of minority communities and what can be done, like even by local churches, like how can you meet the needs of your community Like, how can you actually be present? How can you be more than just a place that people go to on Sunday, but a place that people depend on? Um, And so, yeah, and with that, I am hoping for some sort of reform to come. If anything, some better training. So, unlike some, I'm probably not for the defunding of police officers. I think, if anything right now, if you're going to train people to be better, then we need to allocate the resources to help produce that i think that um yeah i'm hoping that blind eyes can actually see and don't and they actually take steps in awareness and steps in actually being present and the people that they know and their sufferings and i know that christians whether white or black or hispanic asian doesn't matter willing to carry the sorrowful Burdens of each other right now. Because as much as we do need conversation and all that, I think as a Christian community, I'm really hoping we take lamenting very seriously as of right now to just cry out to God and pour out our hearts and to not let this moment just be, I don't know, as much as it is about justice and reform, I think it's also about pouring out our hearts to God and saying, like, this is actually how we feel. And like, Lord, I know you're good and I can declare your faithfulness. But like, don't skip the opportunity to lament and pour out to God. Like, I'm being honest about exactly how I feel right now and my frustrations and all that. And God is more than big enough to take that. But I think it's also our opportunity to willfully step into this area. So, yeah, I'm praying for a lot of things, even just peace when it comes to like the protest to continue to say, Um, peaceful and for the rioting and looting to stop and so that other people's lives are not being also destroyed in this this time period so so many different areas
0: thanks thanks for sharing that i think something that even you just said is you're praying for a lot and maybe the biggest thing for us right now to understand is that prayer is not enough Prayer is not the only thing that we should be doing, but it absolutely is the first thing that we should be doing. And it is probably the most powerful thing that we can do, but it is not the only thing that we do, that we actually take part in conversations. We start dialogue. We lament. We mourn. We empathize. We apologize and lay ourselves down and realize This is so much bigger than me and I don't even understand it and I don't know how to fix it and I don't know how to go about it. But anything that I can do to say I'm wrong, help me understand. We need to take those steps and we need to be persistent in our pursuit of reconciliation. It's not a one-time thing. It doesn't end. It doesn't stop until we meet Jesus face-to-face. Because because evil is in this world, and this world is full of sin, and, and our call as Christians is not to be a part of this world. It's to be in the world, but of the kingdom of God, and on mission for the kingdom of God, which is reconciliation. It always has been reconciliation by the blood of Jesus. And that's our avenue
1: it would be a, i think it'll be a fatal mistake for the church to remain silent on this one because i don't think many i don't know i don't think anyone who cares about these issues are going to particularly enjoy if they go to a church and a church doesn't speak out on these issues and doesn't address it and doesn't help to make an impact in their community with however they're needing whatever needs their they need in that community. If a church is silent in this area, I think it'll be a, a crippling blow for people's trust in the church, even a Christians, or at least in their local church. So it's a big opportunity for the, not the church to stay relevant, but to be what God has called us to be.
0: Wow, wow that's good. That's, that's really good. May that be what we see in days to come. Well, Bedford, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us, thank you so much for, for taking part in this conversation, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that really learn and grow, um, from your experience, from your wisdom that you've shared. Um, and my prayer is that every ear that hears this, there would be transformation and there would be life change. Um, so thank you so much, man, for for
1: joining. Of course, I appreciated being invited on, man. Love you.
0: Love you too. Wow, what powerful truth and incredible wisdom from my good friend Bedford. I think every single one of us can listen to that and take away practical things that we can do in our everyday life to see racial reconciliation happen. It blows my mind that in 2020, There is still some arrogance, pride, and evil inside of us to view other human beings as less than ourselves. I've done it. And I want to confess to you right now that I have given in to racism. Sometimes I wasn't aware of it. And it was part of this systematic racism that takes place in America. I talked about it earlier, this idea that the system has been built for the white man or white woman to prosper and for anybody else to have to work their way up to a certain platform. Sometimes growing up, I gave into it knowing it was wrong but not understanding the weight of the words that I carried. And I have come to a realization that if I continue to view others as less than myself, I will truly collapse and crumble to this disease. You are not alone. You are not supposed to be self reliant. We were never created to do life apart from community. We were never created as human beings to embark on a journey of self discovery from an atmosphere of loneliness. Because we actually discover ourselves the best when we're in community with those around us. And we discover ourselves the best when we seek truth in the Word of God. I want to share a little bit about why this disease has stuck out so obviously to me in this season of life. In Genesis, Chapter two, starting in verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God, after six days of creating everything that we see, looked at Adam looked at the pivotal moment of his creation, human life, relationship, and something created in his very own image and said, it's not good for him to be alone. At the very beginning, God addressed the disease of individualism and put an end to it. And he made Eve a woman another creation taken from Adam's bone and said, this will be a suitable helper. We were meant to do life together. We were meant to love and learn and live in community. Because every time that we try to Do things on our own. We realize that we aren't good enough. We aren't wise enough. We aren't loving enough because we're sinful beings. And we have a nature to selfishly try to seek platform and blessing and favor for ourselves rather than seeking service for those around us and that's what i think bedford and i are trying to get people to understand is that we are living in a time where people don't really know what truth is and we're living in a time where people truly don't understand the privilege, or the injustice that is taking place around us. It begins with a conversation, but it does not end there. It doesn't end with words. Action must take place. And we all must strive to live beside our brothers and sisters and seek truth that comes from God's word in order to truly experience what love is and in order to bless all those around us and to bless God because he has created us to encounter his son, Jesus, who came and died on the cross for us and has now poured out his blood so that everyone who accepts him and receives him as Lord and Savior can be covered by his blood and seen as righteous in God's sight. To be set free from sin, to be set free from injustice. Because there is only one family and it is the family of Christ Jesus. It is God's family, a family of those who have been saved and set free, but you aren't just saved from your sin. You're saved to live and represent Christ to this world. Only through Jesus will we see racial reconciliation take place. So I encourage every single one of you from the moment that you stop listening to this podcast, that you would begin to seek change in your relationships every single day, that you would begin to engage in God's word and seek truth. And you would truly live in community with those around you in order to encounter what true love really is. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for the first episode of Not Mine But Ours. I cannot wait to continue to dive into more and more conversations, more and more topics, and there will be a lot more special guests here with us. I love you all so much, and I hope you can see and hear my heart in these podcast episodes. Go and love those who aren't necessarily easy to love because there's times when we aren't easy to love either and there's always a God who loves you. Your life is not your own, but it is ours to strengthen, encourage, and to build up. Love you guys.